I won't lie, it's been a it's been a tremendous struggle and my body literally will just shut down. I've lost friends who didn't understand what was happening and sometimes you just can't keep up with them so you have to let them move on with their lives. So I would say that's been the hardest part is it it robs you of all of the things that you love. That's Perry Ann Norton, a resident of Santa Barbara County who, for three years, has lived with a condition called ME-CFS, or Myalgic Encephalomyelitis slash Chronic Fatigue Syndrome. It's a debilitating chronic illness that can arise after an infection, making it part of the post-acute infection syndromes that also includes long COVID. In part one of our chronic illness conversations, Perry shared her experiences living with ME-CFS, which developed months after she contracted what was most likely COVID-19. She talked about some of the symptoms that made her realize something was wrong, something that was not just COVID. I got really sick in January of 2020. Um, it was probably for about three weeks. It was just completely incapacitated. And once the, you know, sort of cold symptoms started to dissipate, this unremitting exhaustion took its place. If you have symptoms post-COVID for, I think it's a minimum of three months, but up to like six months or a year, maybe two, they sort of categorize it as long COVID. But if your symptoms persist for much longer, and I'm going on three and a half years now, oftentimes what happens is it becomes a diagnosis of something called myalgic encephalomyelitis. Long COVID and ME are characterized by things like brain fog, extreme fatigue that does not go away with sleep, and a crash after mental or physical activity, which is also called post-exertional malaise. Because both long COVID and ME-CFS patients can experience these core symptoms, scientists are researching these post-acute infection syndromes to identify any overlapping pathophysiologies or genetics. However, it's important to note that while these conditions can overlap, they're not necessarily the same. Santa Barbara County's public health director, Dr. Mohanad Hamami, told me about how long COVID is not necessarily one single condition, but rather a collection of symptoms. And there is no, again, one model where if you have long COVID, then you will have all those symptoms. You might have some of them or you might have the complete picture. And we are seeing those uh, the long COVID in more of those that did not receive any vaccine. So those that were not vaccinated are more uh, prone to have or experience long COVID. Of course, there are uh, some uh, you know factors that might predispose someone to to get pre uh, to get long COVID more than others. There has been uh, recently a release by the CDC where it shows that uh, almost one in 13 adults that have experienced long COVID uh, would, would have those symptoms. Um, it is more uh, prevalent in women versus men, 9.4% versus 5% in men. Um, Hispanics, for some reason, have a higher incident than whites. Um, and, and Blacks, the lowest is in um, Asians at 3%. 
uh, bisexual and transgender adults also seem to be uh, have higher. And again, these are numbers that were released by the CDC, unfortunately, because this is still a very uh, uh, new, I guess, uh, uh, syndrome that we're studying. The linkage and the causes are not very clear. So again, there is no, I, I guess, straight model or, or a straight skeleton that we can follow to identify that. And it's going to be very interesting, specifically for the scientific community, to start looking at this further and understand what makes it to what it is. As Dr. Hamami implied, the symptoms for long COVID look different for everybody. The same goes for MECFS. There's currently no definitive test or cure for long COVID or MECFS. Not only do they share similar symptoms, but both conditions are also underdiagnosed and appear to be more frequently diagnosed in women. Like other chronic illnesses, the lack of awareness around MECFS has helped lead to a sort of domino effect that negatively impacts research and funding. In fact, MECFS is the National Institutes of Health's least funded illness by disease burden. The measure of a disease's impact by things like mortality, morbidity, and social and financial costs. I asked Dr. Hamami what can be done to increase awareness of post-acute infection syndromes like long COVID and MECFS, not only among scientists and physicians, but also the general public. Right. So, so let's start with the the clinicians and providers uh, at least acknowledging that um, it is a syndrome that is real and it's happening. I think clinicians are now starting to put the pieces together. This reminds me when autism started and, and there was a diagnosis of autism, but then it evolved to become an autistic spectrum because it can involve not the traditional uh, autism, but it can involve so many different things. And this is why we are now calling it a spectrum because it can be anywhere on the spectrum. And I think this is what we're going to see when we're going to talk about long COVID. It is also a spectrum. It's a syndrome. You might have this type of, of symptom or that or the other. And I think clinicians are now starting to understand that the manifestations when linked into a history of chronic COVID are part of this. Now, uh, this is a first step in, in identifying a, a condition or identifying a syndrome. And usually when uh, people identify something, then that is the first step into the healing process or the first step in a treatment. You don't want your doctor to tell you, well, I have no idea what you have, right? But you want your doctor to say, well, we believe it might be this. It's not typical, but at least you put a name to it. So now you know how to address it. From the flip side, where, where the public are, uh, definitely uh, any symptom that you feel, and if you know that you have been exposed or you've had COVID, it's something to address with your physician. So don't delay addressing your discussion or seeing your, your primary care physician and addressing those things, because the earlier we can address them, then the more we can uh, probably put together a treatment plan that can help people. Prevention is certainly the best medicine. So although we are uh, supposedly off the COVID pandemic, but still practicing uh, hygiene and practicing masking when you're sick or practicing when 
keeping up with vaccinations, whether it's the flu vaccine or the COVID vaccine, the boosters and all that, have been proven to be effective. And we want to prevent it rather than to deal with it once it's diagnosed. Because long COVID or ME-CFS can look different for everyone, many patients need tailored, specialized treatment, which can very quickly become expensive. What can we do to ensure that all patients, regardless of their financial status, are getting the treatment and support they need? That's a great question, and uh, I wish I had the magic answer to, to that would solve the problems of the world. Unfortunately, inequities in resources are real and they exist everywhere and they exist in Santa Barbara County as well. And this is where we as public health and as the the county are trying to address those uh, uh, inequities in in providing care as well as providing the resources. So, you know, health coverage is going to be the, the key. And by ensuring that uh, especially now, there is the redetermination for those that would qualify for Medi-Cal, and, and we are advocating for all our residents that once they receive, uh, I believe it's a yellow envelope, not to ignore it because this is how they get back on Medi-Cal. Um, our safety nets, whether it's our clinics at the county or our partners across the county, are very uh, efficient and robust in coordinating care and in addressing those from a primary care perspective, but also linking that to a secondary care. Our health partners, we at Santa Barbara County have three major health systems uh, in, in Santa Barbara, in Lompoc and in Santa Maria that are also partners with the county in addressing the healthcare needs of those that uh, have chronic conditions and those that also have limited uh, access to healthcare. This is why it's important to address those needs and, and correct the problem and eliminate the barrier that that, that is uh, the case, whether it's shelter or whether it's, whether it's language or whether it's transportation or whether it's health coverage, then this is what we need to address. And it's not only the, us as the county or us as the public health, this truly should be a combined effort where we have everybody come together and addressing how do we improve conditions in our communities for people to be healthy and to be well. That was Dr. Mohanet Hamami, the public health director of Santa Barbara County. Now we'll hear from a local filmmaker who's working on a documentary about ME-CFS, which she herself has lived with for 25 years. My name is Chesley Himesfield. I am a director and produce for feature films and music videos and commercials and work in the entertainment industry at large. I also started and ran the Louisiana International Film Festival Mentorship Program. When I was 18 years old and a freshman in college at Emory University, I got an infection and I simply never recovered. And not only did I not recover, these symptoms snowballed and changed and became a phantom of an illness that I've been chasing now for 25 years. It took me 10 years before I was able to get a diagnosis of fibromyalgia and another five years before I knew anyone else who had that disease. And believe it or not, it's actually quite prevalent. 
And ever since then, my symptoms have changed and evolved, and now I'm diagnosed with myalgic encephalomyelitis, or ME. So in making this documentary, my overall goal is to be able to bring these communities together so we can have a larger voice and be able to speak up for ourselves and for people that we love. The documentary is still in the works, but Chesley told me about her plans for it. And so what we've done is we've gone around California and we've done remote uh, interviews with people, with patients all over the world, and talked to them about their experience. And what we're looking to do is set off shortly to go on a cross-country road trip because I love cross-country road trip movies. And I thought, how can we make a documentary that's about a pretty dark topic, but make it fun and engaging and adventurous? So thereby a road trip. I think that the idea that a documentary film has the power to influence opinion and to raise awareness and to change a perception. And if, if the only thing we can accomplish by this documentary is to let people know that they're not alone and to also make them less alone, to let people in their lives know how to communicate with them and create a community because we've all gone through the pandemic and been isolated, right? So we know what isolation can feel like. And, and this idea is um, to increase a, an ability for us to all communicate where we have more compassion towards one another. And um, there's no need to, for any of us to feel alone and certainly not for these patients to feel alone. Today, in the United States of America, just the United States, after COVID-19, the CDC's numbers are they estimate there to be 10 million people who are now suffering as quote-unquote COVID-19 long haulers, which we know many of these people are diagnosable as having this illness we already know about called ME-CFS. But there are other research papers that have come out that estimate anywhere from 43 million people up to 110 million people in the United States. These numbers are so incredibly astronomical. The problem is the public is unaware. If you recall, we mentioned that ME-CFS is the NIH's most underfunded disease by disease burden. I asked Chesley why she thinks this is and how it relates to the stigma surrounding chronic illness in general. So, very interesting. There was a wonderful article that came out by Art Mirren, and he is a wonderful statistician and mathematician, and he identified that many of the illnesses that are underfunded by the NIH are seen as predominantly women's illnesses, when in reality, we don't even know the numbers of how many people have it in the U.S. and what the break is between men and women and anyone else. We just don't really have the figures. But the stigma that, that an illness can carry because it is seen as being predominantly women can be very deadly. And the idea is not only to be able to show that we can change this paradigm of an inequity in research funding from the NIH for ME-CFS. But if we can do this for ME-CFS, can we do this for other illnesses that are seen as being predominantly affecting women? Because I believe that in a society, you can tell who's cared about by how much money is spent on them. So the stigma that we have is so severe that people do not even know we're stigmatized. In order to destigmatize, we have to first demystify it. And once you destigmatize and you show that that we're all human beings 
and that everyone deserves the right to live a full, happy and free and healthy life. Then we're able to open up the compassionate doors to receive research funding and disability support and all kinds of other societal help that we've really been unfortunately denied for so long. I mean, we would do massive things for this country if we were well, fully well. Everyone can benefit by elevating us. And we have a lot of work to do, but it's something that can completely be done. Once we get to the point where ME-CFS and any of these related illnesses can be recognized by most of the public, general public, when it becomes a part of the fabric of our culture and these are part of conversations that people have, when you can tell your friend, I have ME or I have long COVID or I have this illness, XYZ, when you can say that and there, an image is implanted in their mind as to what that means, and it's a positive image, where you believe that this person has imminent value, not only to themselves, their own personal life, their family, their friends, their coworkers, but to the country, to the world. When we're seen not as pariahs or drainers or complainers, when we're seen as being incredibly important parts of, of this moving society, then things will change. That was film producer Chesley Himesfield, who's working on a documentary about ME-CFS. Earlier, we also heard from Perry Norton, a local voiceover artist, record label owner, and ME-CFS patient, as well as Dr. Mohanid Hamami, Director of Public Health here in Santa Barbara County. More information about long COVID, ME-CFS, and other post-acute infection syndromes can be found at the following websites solvecfs.org, meaction.net, and omf.ngo. To learn more about Chesley's documentary, you can visit the Movie About ME pages on Instagram and Facebook. Thank you for listening. With KCSB News, I'm Joyce Chee.